The Daily 202's Big Idea is sponsored by the American Beverage Association. Coke, Dr. Pepper, and Pepsi are offering more choices, smaller portions, less sugar. Learn more at balanceus.org. Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Monday, June 10th. In today's news, rapists in Alabama get parental custody rights. China moves to squash peaceful protests in Hong Kong. And some U.S. embassies are still flying rainbow flags despite being directed not to by the Trump administration. But first, the big idea. Dues from National Rifle Association members flowed into the pockets of its own board members amid allegedly lavish spending by top officials and vendors over the past three years. A former pro football player who serves on the NRA board was paid $400,000 by the group in recent years for public outreach and firearms training. Another board member, a writer in New Mexico, collected more than $28,000 for articles in NRA publications. Yet another board member sold ammunition from his private company to the NRA for an undisclosed sum. A firm run by White House communications aide Mercedes Schlapp, who resigned from the board when she joined the administration in 2017, received $85,000 in 2016 and 2017 for media strategy consulting. In all, 18 members of the NRA's 76-member board, who are not paid as directors, collected money from the group during the past three years according to tax filings, state charitable reports, and a massive trove of NRA records obtained by my colleagues Beth Reinhardt, Katie Zezema, Tom Hamburger, and Carol Lennig. Tax experts say the numerous payments to NRA directors create potential conflicts of interest that could cloud the board's independent monitoring of the organization's finances. The payments received by about one quarter of board members deepen questions about the rigor of the board's oversight as it steered the country's largest and most powerful gun rights group. The NRA does not require board members to donate or raise money for the group, as many nonprofits do. They do not have term limits. The organization hasn't hired an outside firm to conduct an investigation into the numerous allegations of misspending and misconduct. That's a measure that legal experts note is often taken by nonprofit boards in these kinds of situations. Among the revelations that have burst into public view recently amid infighting at the highest levels, CEO Wayne LaPierre racked up $275,000 in personal charges picked up by the NRA at a Beverly Hills men's clothing store and more than $253,000 in luxury travel to locations like Italy, Budapest, and the Bahamas. Bills also show $13,800 to rent an apartment for a summer intern. And Oliver North, who was forced out as president after trying to oust LaPierre, was set to collect millions in a deal with the NRA's now-estranged public relations agency, Ackerman McQueen. That's according to LaPierre. Compounding the situation are signs that the NRA's finances are under strain. Public filings show that the gun rights group had a $17 million shortfall in 2017. That year collected $312 million in revenue but it's under intensifying scrutiny in Congress where Democrats on the Senate Finance Committee have been examining the group's ties to Russia and the source of the $31 million the NRA spent to elect Trump in 2016. That was more than any other outside group. The Senate inquiry has expanded to include the allegations of self-dealing. 
New York's attorney general is also investigating whether the NRA should lose its nonprofit tax-exempt status because of some of its spending. Amid the turmoil, much of the NRA board has remained silent or defended LaPierre's lavish spending. But some supporters are rebelling publicly and questioning the leadership. Vanessa Ross, a Philadelphia-area bakery owner and lifetime NRA member who previously worked at the group's Virginia headquarters managing a program for disabled shooters, said she'll be the first person to get on your face about defending the Second Amendment. But she added, quote, I will not defend corruption and cronyism and fear-mongering. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar this Monday morning. Number one, Alabama, the state that just passed a law to ban abortions for victims of rape and incest, also protects parental rights for the rapists. Alabama is one of two states with no statute terminating parental rights for a person found to have conceived the child by rape or incest, a fact that has gained fresh relevance since lawmakers passed that bill last month. The other state is Minnesota. Last month, Alabama lawmakers considered a bill that addressed ending this problem that would end parental rights in cases of rape that result in conception, but Republicans in the legislature removed that language. Jessica Stallings says she was 12 when her mother's half-brother began climbing into her bed at night. Before she turned 18, she had endured four pregnancies. The first ended in miscarriage, and one son died of a disease more likely to occur in cases of incest. Then, her family forced her to marry her uncle. Stallings fled, and a court deemed the marriage illegal because of a familial relationship. She built a stable home in Fort Payne, Alabama, for her sons, now 12 and 15. But in the winter of 2017, she discovered that she was not yet free of the man she still calls Uncle Lenny. Despite DNA tests that proved incest, he maintained parental rights to the boys and fought Stallings for visitation. A judge ruled that he was entitled to see the kids, including over Christmas. Her uncle recently was released from jail yet again on bail after being charged with possession of methamphetamine. Their 12-year-old son was in the car when the father was arrested. Stallings describes herself as 100% pro-life, but she says she feels compelled to speak out and help other women by showing that Alabama's abortion ban is grievously unfair without changes in child custody laws. Forcing women to deliver their rapist's child is not some academic debate. The estimated number of rape-related pregnancies in America ranges from 7,700 to 32,000 a year. But there's no accurate data for how many women keep those children. For those who do raise their children, it's not unheard of for the men to seek involvement in their lives. As many as 90% of rapes are committed by attackers whom the victims know. Number two, China this weekend added the Washington Post to its so-called Great Firewall, the blacklist of sites blocked to its 1.4 billion citizens, on the same day that Trump denounced the newspaper as truly the enemy of the people, his words. The ongoing fade-out of public information coincided with the 30th anniversary this month of the bloodshed in Tiananmen Square. The president's hostility toward the press in the United States again stood as a striking comparison to the antagonism that authoritarian regimes display toward the free flow of information. Trump's tweets came as an estimated one million people in Hong Kong took to the streets to protest a new extradition law announced by the Communist Party 
fearing further erosion of the one, cardi, one country, two systems autonomy that has existed since the British returned control of the island to Beijing in 1997. They were supposed to guarantee semi-autonomy. The protesters included corporate lawyers, students, housewives, and religious leaders who stood against proposed extradition laws that would finally break the dam holding back China's creeping influence over this political haven. Despite sweltering heat and storm clouds gathering overhead, they came out to take a stand for freedom. Many said they were joining a demonstration for the first time because they viewed it as the last chance to voice their outrage as Hong Kong's political freedoms shrivel. Shortly after midnight, when the government permit for the demonstration expired, clashes broke out between police and hundreds of protesters in front of the legislative building. Police in riot gear charged in with shields and fired pepper spray to disperse the crowd. Number three, speaking of taking a stand, since the State Department began rejecting all embassy requests to hoist rainbow flags outside the mission buildings during LGBTQ Pride Month this year, some U.S. diplomats have been finding ways to defy the new policy. The facades of the U.S. missions in Seoul and Chennai, India are partially hidden behind large rainbow flags, while the embassy in New Delhi is aglow in rainbow-colored lights. The website for the embassy in Santiago, Chile, shows a video of the chief diplomat raising a rainbow flag last month. The Vienna embassy's website features a photo of a rainbow flag flying below Old Glory on a mast jutting from the building. U.S. diplomats in Jerusalem joined a march for pride and tolerance, and several ambassadors have tweeted photos of themselves in local pride parades or standing outside the embassies surrounded by employees holding up letters that spell pride. A practice routinely approved for the past decade at most embassies now requires top-level approval from the State Department. But this year, all requests have been nixed. We can confirm that the embassies in Israel, Germany, Brazil, and Latvia, plus a handful of other posts, sent cables asking for permission to fly rainbow flags. All were denied by Trump political appointees. One diplomat, speaking on the condition of anonymity for fear of being fired, told our Carol Morello, quote, This is a Category 1 insurrection. And that's The Daily 202 for Monday, June 10th. Thanks for listening. I'm James Holman. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Thank you.